welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Well, welcome this morning, everyone. I'm, I'm Mike McNichols. I'm so glad to be with you. <clears throat> and today is the sixth Sunday of the season of Epiphany. It's also a Transfiguration Sunday. Um, uh, and yes, it's Valentine's Day. We have that as well. A lot of things going on today. Um, I want to just mention something about being chosen. Being chosen can result in something that we like or something that we don't like. I didn't like it in 1972 when I had a low draft number and I was about to be chosen to be conscripted into the United States Army. And uh, knowing that my draft notice was probably coming pretty soon with a little note from the president, I asked the Navy to choose me just a week earlier. Nevertheless, I would have preferred not to have been chosen in the first place. But I did like it just a few weeks later, standing in front of my girlfriend's house with her standing on the curb and me standing in the gutter. Yes, possibly an apt metaphor for our life together. Uh, she said yes, and she chose me to be her husband. Jesus' words about choosing his disciples have been interpreted in a variety of ways over time. Some have said that, that this has something to do with election, in that some are chosen or some are elected for salvation, which, which would be a good thing for them, while at the same time others are not chosen or not elected. Clearly a bad thing for them. But that's not what's going on here. We know that Jesus' choosing of the disciples followed his own extended time of prayer in the wilderness. The disciples were, in effect, an answer to Jesus' prayer. And now Jesus reminds them that they are with him not because they just decided on their own to follow them rather than just to keep working at their old jobs, but because God led Jesus to them, that he pursued them, that he, they had value to him, not merely as servants, but as friends. They have come to love Jesus and in the process have discovered new ways that God has loved them and how they might love God. And now Jesus calls them to love one another. Uh, this is a, a really important theme with John, both in his gospel and also in his letters, certainly because it was a big, important theme with Jesus. It's also something that Christians have needed to hear right from the very beginning. Loving other human beings is a lot of hard work, leading some folks to say that they'd rather just love God and not waste their time on people. But as John says in one of his letters, those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have seen, have not seen. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews echoes this encouragement. After fleshing out this incredible theology of Jesus as our high priest, and showing how the richness and complexity of the Jewish tradition 
was a shadow of a reality that was fully clarified in Jesus, he now draws his audience into some very important ways that this great faith of ours is to be expressed in real, everyday life. And we're told, let mutual love continue. Show hospitality to strangers. Remember those in prison. Remember those being tortured. Hold marriage in honor. Keep your lives free of the love of money and be content with what you have. All through the letter to the Hebrews, Jesus has been described as the one who supremely reflects the very character of God. He's depicted as the ultimate of all high priests, representing humans to God and representing God to humans. Jesus comes to the world as one of us, a, a real person sharing the entirety of human experience right along with everyone else. He knows what it means to suffer and to face off with death. And through those experiences, he has made complete and perfect as the pioneer of our faith, the one who goes before us in this race where we aim our lives toward God. And now, the readers are told that Jesus' identification with us, his coming alongside us, is to be demonstrated by us in our relationships with others. We are all called to mutual love, a, a love that is shared by brothers and sisters in faith, and that same kind of love is to be extended to others, to outsiders, to strangers, to those needing hospitality, and who might just possibly be in league with the angels. Such love is found in remembering those in prison and those being tortured for their faith, not remembering in just some kind of abstract way, but as though we are actually suffering their pain with them. Otherwise, if, if we forget them, then we side with their oppressors. We are to keep our marriage commitments and, and to put money in its proper place, lest we become people who use others for our own means. We demonstrate to ourselves and to others our contentment with the life that God has granted to us. When I consider these things, I start seeing a, a picture of what God intends for human life and relationships. It, it's not just that these acts of love are, are good things to do, but that they are right at the heart of what it really means to be human. A few years ago, I was invited to speak with some seminary students on my campus in a course that was about theology and sexuality. And I was asked to talk about what it took to sustain a marriage over a long period of time, since I had been married longer than any of them had even been alive, including their professor. Well, I knew most of the students personally, since I'd had them in my own courses, uh, I'd been their professor, I'd also been their academic advisor from time to time, and I recognized that they were of a generation of young people who didn't necessarily share their elders' views about the prohibition against premarital sex. Uh, in fact, they even asked my view about that. Um, now, I'm not saying that these folks 
were all for sex before marriage, but they certainly did have some questions about it. And so they asked me my opinion. And I said, you know, I said, premarital sex is not the unpardonable sin. Now, they, they all seemed happy that I said that for some odd reason. But I went on to say that the first question we need to ask really is whether sexuality and sexual activity are essential to our humanity or merely incidental to it. In other words, does our sexuality reflect the essence of what it means to be human or is sex nothing more than just sort of like a, the scratching of an itch? You know, the, the possibilities of pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases notwithstanding. If our sexuality is only incidental to our humanness, then outside of being sure to be safe, then maybe playing around is really just no big deal. Sort of like test driving a car before you buy it, to use an awkward and rather dehumanizing metaphor. But if our sexuality is essential to our humanness, then questions of faithfulness and oneness have to be considered very seriously. Well, I don't know if they liked my response, but if they didn't, the next time they can invite someone else to come talk to them like a grandfather. Well, my, my point in telling that story is not to make this all about sex, but the point in telling the story is that I'm believing that love for one another, hospitality, identifying with those who suffer, faithfulness in marriage and sexuality, and contentment with God's provision in our lives are all right at the heart of what it really means to be human, if being human is to be made in the image of God. What the author of Hebrews is showing us is that these relational responses are not isolated acts of compassion and care that only occur once in a while, but rather that they, they pour out of the very heart, the essence of who we are as the people of God. And we've been chosen to be that people, not to the exclusion of the rest of the world, but for the sake and blessing of the world. You know, these, these words that we hear from Hebrews, these words that to, to demonstrate the character of the one who has revealed God's heart for us are words that dismantle. They dismantle hatred and intolerance. They dismantle the fear of the stranger, the one who is not like us. They dismantle the benign approval granted to those who oppress. They dismantle the utilitarianism of our bodies that claims that faithfulness and our sexuality don't matter. They dismantle greed and the idols of consumerism. So the words in our text today are not just nice things to do. They are dismantling subversive acts that reveal what it really means to be human if to be truly human is to be made in the image of God. And being that kind of people puts us in a very distinct place in the world. In a very important way, we are outsiders and not insiders. This week, more disturbing video footage has shown the intensity 
of the violence at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. And you have probably seen the photo of the gallows that was erected on Capitol grounds, a, a disturbing sight indeed. I can't really tell from the pictures if the gallows was constructed in such a way that it was intended for actual use or if it was just a darkly symbolic prop, but, but either way, its placement was telling. If someone was going to be hanged, it wouldn't be in the seat of power. It would be outside of that place of respectability and political drama. That's usually how executions are done all over the world. The blood of the condemned should not be allowed to sully the place of power and intrigue and deal-making. The letter to the Hebrews recaptures the memory of Jesus' execution, how he was hauled out of the city and executed outside its gates. The city was the place that Jesus had invaded with his authoritative message about God's intentions, along with acts of healings, deliverances, his own compassion and his kindness toward others. But it was also the place where those who were charged with the care of the people of God conspired to kill Jesus and implored the Roman authorities to do the deed. Jesus was taken outside the city, beyond the gates, to be dispatched like the carcass of a newly sacrificed animal. This one, who had been characterized as our high priest, is now revealed as the one whose body is sacrificed on an altar constructed of wood and nails. As horrible as Jesus' death is, as we read about it, it it is also a subversive one. By, by returning to Jerusalem in the first place, Jesus opens the way for sin, evil, and death to have their way with him, and they do. In doing so, those malevolent forces are forced or are exposed for, for what they really are, for the dark forces that they really are, even causing a Roman centurion helping to oversee Jesus' execution, for him to observe truly this man was God's son. And now the author of Hebrews calls his readers to go with Jesus to that place outside the camp, outside the gates of the city, prepared to share in Jesus' sufferings. In doing so, they recognize that the city that seems so powerful and unrelenting is not their true home. The city that awaits them, the city where their true citizenship lies, is yet to come. This is a powerful and profound call to we who follow Jesus, we who call ourselves members of the people of God, the body of Christ. We are a people who live and work and suffer and die in a real world. And very often that happens in actual cities. But we do so as a people summoned to a shared life of love, welcome, compassion, faithfulness, and generous simplicity. If there's any kind of power that we are called to demonstrate, it is not the power of might or oppression or insurrection. It is in the power of living out the subversive reality of God's call to us 
to be a new kind of people in the world expressed in the sacrificial love of Jesus. It's stunning to stop and think about how in, in demonstrating the kind of love and compassion that's described to us in our text from Hebrews that, that we not only bless the people around us, but that at the same time we expose evil and sin for the twisted distortions that they really are. That's why the way that we offer tangible testimony to Jesus through our shared life of faith really matters. And maybe that's why the author of Hebrews reminded his readers that the demonstration of love and compassion doesn't come out of a vacuum, but, but rather from the context of a worshiping community. When he says in chapter 10, let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know, I, I know we're all looking forward to the time when we can be physically together again, but the gathering restrictions we've been experiencing do not give us a pass on encouraging one another, even provoking one another to love and good deeds. Being together, whether in person or online, is more than just a way to satisfy our desire to be with other people. It's how we draw one another into the love and compassion of Christ. Provoke is a funny word to use here, isn't it? In the Bible, the, the Greek word for provoke is used both neutrally and negatively. It can mean to urge or encourage, but it can also mean to irritate or annoy. Well, maybe it's helpful right now for us to remember that a grain of sand irritates an oyster, but the result is a pearl. When God grants his gifts to us, we are compelled to share those gifts with others. We see this in several ways in the scriptures. The Lord executes justice for the orphan and the widow, loves the strangers, providing them with food and clothing. You shall also love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt, as we are told in Deuteronomy chapter 10. And that well-known verse in 1 John 4, we love because God first loved us. And from the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. When God grants his gifts, he calls us into full participation with his generosity. Gifts like hospitality and love and forgiveness cannot be grasped and owned. They are poured out to us and are to be demonstrated in our shared life. Hebrews has shown us how Jesus reveals to us the very character of God. And we are called to demonstrate that character as well. It's not a heavy command, but rather a liberating gift, one that shows us what it means to be truly human, made in the image of God. You know, here at the Vine, no matter our, our size, whatever that is today, no matter our limitations, we are a people, a people with a shared life and a, and a character, and several things, the, the pandemic being the most significant, have created 
all kinds of ways for us to not be a people. But we keep showing up, don't we? <laughs> and while we look forward to the day when we can be together again in person, we, we dare not believe that our shared life doesn't matter today. It does matter. And we seek every opportunity to come alongside one another, just as Jesus has come alongside us, to urge one another to love and good deeds. And may it be so among us today. You know, our, our time of worship is, is always multifaceted. And uh, we, as, as Joel and Joanna reminded us, uh, we do a lot of different things when we worship together. And, and one of the things that we do is that we give. We give generously. We, we believe that generosity is part of our worship to God and we give so that our church's shared life of worship and ministry is sustained and continued. Our giving is actually a response to the generosity of God whose love, grace, and care has been poured out upon us. And after, after I pray for us, the ways to give will be shown on the screen. And so let's pray as we prepare to give and then we will come back for the rest of our service. Gracious and generous God, creator and giver of all that is good, we thank you for our many blessings. We acknowledge that all that we have is from you. We offer you thanks and praise for the beauty of the earth, for our work, our family, our loved ones, and all the gifts we have been given. You are with us always. In, in each dark hour, you are here. In each bright hour, you are here. Blessed by your grace, may we show gratitude by sharing what we have been given. Amen. The author of Hebrews has reminded us that, that God made us human beings to be a little lower than the angels. That's how the book opens up. <laughs> Even though we inhabit the earth, there's a, a suggestion that we humans don't really belong here. Now, in, in a positive sense, we don't really belong because we are made in the image of God rather than just in a higher image of the animal world. But in a negative sense, we don't belong here because we humans have historically been a bit problematic to the world. We've caused wars and enslavement, oppression, pollution, and, and overall ravaging of the natural order. So even as we urge one another on to love and good deeds, we come together before God recognizing the sin of the whole world and even our own complicity with that sin. And we speak the truth of ourselves and on behalf of the world to God 
in what we call confession. And so we say together, you have given us a world of beauty, Lord, and we have spoiled it. A world to feed us and so many go hungry. A world of riches and we are unwilling to share. A world to care for and we think only of ourselves. Forgive us, gracious God, for those times your heart is saddened by our selfishness. For those times we have no thought for others, no cares but ours. Enable us to see this world anew as a gift from you, to be shared and nurtured, and those who live upon it to be loved and cared for. We ask this, that your name may be glorified through the beauty of this world and the service of our lives. Amen. And now may the God of love and power forgive us and free us from our sins, heal and strengthen us by his spirit, and raise us to new life in Christ our Lord. We, we recognize here at the Vine that we all, we all come to this time of worship with, um, we all come with uh, all kinds of things that are going on in our lives. And, and maybe you've come today with a, with a particular need and, and we wanna give you some space to receive prayer for that need. So whether you've come with a need for healing or a hope or provision or, or anything else, would you come to receive prayer from our, our very committed prayer ministers? And, and you can come right at the close of our service through Zoom today. We have confidential chat rooms. You can also come during the week through what we call prayer calls. Uh, and uh, all of the information you need will be on the screen at the end of our time together. And this is a time for personal prayer ministry where you can bring your needs to others who will join with you as you bring these things to the Lord, who knows what you need even before you ask. And speaking of prayer, also right after the service, in a separate gathering, we'll have what's known as our, our post-service prayer time, where we have the vine come together and just pray for the life of our church. This will actually be our last one for a while because we're going to be doing something new to replace that, but you're all welcome to come and just pray together for the church. During our time of prayer before the service came, someone felt like the Lord was inviting people who were gathering this morning to um to recognize that in this time of difficulty, there's things that burn in their heart that they want, but they've been afraid to bring these things before the Lord. And we had a sense that the Lord was saying, come to me with those things that you desire and that you can trust God with his righteousness to clarify those things that you desire, to purify those things that you desire. So bring those things to him in confidence that he hears you and perhaps that's why you wanna to come to prayer today. Well, Jesus gave us a beautiful way to pray. He gave us a framework of prayer upon which hang all other prayers, a prayer that points us to the God who loves us and cares for us. So let's pray that prayer together now, the prayer known as the Lord's Prayer, along with followers of Jesus all over the world. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours 
now and forever. Amen.